Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's April 15th, tax day, when I'm recording this interview, and it's going to be an interview with Jacob Cabral with LRSE, or Life Raft Survival Equipment Corporation. This is going to be covering safety equipment that we might be wanting to have or wanting to know how to to support and maintain that you may already own. And before we get to that interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service, and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. I'm on Skype with Jacob Cabral with LRSE.com, or Life Raft and Safety Equipment Company. And I came across your website and your company uh, through a roundabout method. I have an old EPIRB, which I bought probably back in, oh, 98 uh, after I'd sailed across the Atlantic, I bought one. And the antenna broke on it last year, and I brought it back to the States, and I thought, well, if I just replace the antenna and get some new batteries, I'm good to go. So I did a Google search on EPIRB antennas and came across a company called Landfall Navigation, and I bought an item from them. I bought an antenna. It didn't match my model perfectly, but I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And it came in the mail, and I could not use it. So I reached out to Sean Fleshman, the president of Nan- Landfall Navigation, and he said, you know, we can't really help you. We don't have anything else. But you might contact this company, LRSE.com, and he gave me the name of um, uh, <laughs> your compatriot there. And he, he, uh, I sent him some photographs of my EPIRB, and he said, Franz, if, if that came in, would be required to destroy it because it's too out of date. So I thought, well, okay, I guess I have to buy a new EPIRB at some point in time. I looked at your website, and I thought, well, this would be interesting to have you and talk about your company and safety equipment for my listening audience. Uh, my listeners are sailors, cruisers, anywhere in the world. I concentrate on the Mediterranean, but I have listeners all over the world. And you're headquartered... So um, we're headquartered in Ro- in um, Tiverton, Rhode Island. Okay, okay. But we we do have um, satellite offices, one in Boston, Massachusetts, and another in Narragansett, Rhode Island. All right. 
Well, Jacob, tell us about your company, how it came about, and you have quite a few videos on your website, and it's lrse.com. But I thought, let's get, let's get some information on your company and what you do. So just take it from there. Sure. So um, our company, we've been in business for just about 40 years. Um, 2022 will mark the 40th year. And um, how we came about was the president and owner of our company, Life Raft and Survival Equipment, worked for a similar company, Landrigan Corporation, up in Boston in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, there was just a void in this type of work in the state of Rhode Island and at the time Connecticut. Um, all throughout the coast, down in the southeast, there were life raft service companies um, in the Gulf of Mexico and the same on the west coast. But as you got into the northeast here, it sort of went from New York City, skipped over everything until you got to Boston, and then there were a few in Maine. So he saw an opening. Um, he saw that Rhode Island did have a uh, promising maritime industry. So he took a chance and decided to go off the, on his own. And um, he was sort of the first as well to acquire different manufacturer certificates because in our area there was essentially a void. Um, you know, many years ago, different life raft manufacturers were partnered essentially with different service stations in a particular space. So what Jim did was he essentially got all the manufacturers to come to him, um, you know, being just outside Newport. And it, you know, it was a decision that's paid off for him quite well. Over the years, we've expanded. Um, you know, we're, we built this new facility that we're in in 2010. So we've moved. Um, seems like just yesterday, it's already been 10 years. And we've um, started to go out more into uh, the training side of things, as well as our sales and service. That way, we can essentially provide. Um, you know, provide a, a full service to everyone. We can sell you the equipment, we can train you on how to use it, and also provide the service when the time comes. All right, so I'm looking at your services. You have uh, uh, life raft, EPIRB, life jacket, immersion suit, man overboard, and you also rent the equipment as well. Talk to me. We do. Yeah, talk to me about the rental. So renting is convenient. Um, you know, as you're aware, I'm sure, you know, life rafts can be costly. And um, also keeping up with the certification every three years can also be costly. So, you know, the rental option is great for the people that only run offshore maybe a couple times a year. You can rent these life rafts or EPIRBs or anything essentially by the day, the week, the month. We have... Um, set rates for things like a Newport Bermuda race where we understand you'll have the equipment for about three weeks time. Um, so we've got special rates for races and events like that. So it is convenient. Um, the other thing, say you are participating in a, an offshore regatta, um, like the Newport Bermuda race and you say have a six person life raft on board typically, but for that one race out of the year, you take 10 or 12, um, so it's nice that you can rent the second life raft as opposed to purchase two and upkeep two life rafts when you really only need that once every other year. Okay. 
in my experience, I, I borrowed a friend's EPIRB when I sailed across the Atlantic in 97. And I got over to Spain, and I had to ship it back to him. <laughs> it cost me about $400 to ship it back to him. And after that, I thought, what was the point of borrowing it? I should have just bought one because I bought one the next year and took it over with me anyway. Talk to me about how the technology in EPIRBs has evolved uh, since, well, 97. So, you know, the last 25 years or so, we've seen the size of these beacons you know, reduced to about half of what they used to be. Um, so they're they're now using microchips, um, these lithium-ion batteries. So you know the technologies have changed so much that that the beacons are smaller, they're more compact, they're more energy efficient, and also they've integrated GPS receivers into the EPIRBs now. Um, you'll be hard pressed to find a new EPIRB off the shelf. That, um, that does not have GPS integrated into it. So with the, new, the newer technologies, if you activate this EPIRB it's and if it's registered properly, um, the search and rescue authorities can almost pinpoint your exact location anywhere in the globe. So I have, I have well, I have only one EPIRB on my boat, which is a personal beacon that I carry on my, my belt which which has the GPS built into it. And I think, I forget the name of it. I'd have to look at your website to find which one it is. But what would be the advantage of a full-size EPIRB versus the personal uh, location beacons? So the um, some advantages of having the full-size EPIRB are the transmission time. So they do have um, a stronger battery, essentially, where... Um, both units, doesn't matter where in the world you are, they'll both work, they'll both obtain a signal, and they'll both transmit that signal. But a full-size EPIRB will transmit the signal for a minimum of 48 hours versus a minimum of 24 hours on a personal locator beacon. That's what I was thinking. That's going to be primarily the battery because the technology inside is going to be pretty much similar, isn't it? Correct, correct. The technology is essentially the same. Um, the transmission is the same. They work on the same frequencies. They send basically the same signals. It really the, you know, there are I'd say three major differences on an EPIRB versus a PLB, and um, the EPIRB can be manually activated as well as water activated, where PLBs um, can only be manually activated. There's the transmission time, which we talked about, 48 hours in an EPIRB versus 24 in a PLB. And um, lastly is the registration. So the EPIRBs register specifically to the vessel, while PLBs register to your person. And um, they can be used both on land and at sea. So um, that, you know, if you do any type of hunting, backcountry fishing, skiing, anything like that, uh, you could bring that PLB with you. And, you know, it's it's for any distress-type situation. So That's a good point. Okay. A life, limb, um, but it, it's, yeah, one thing to be certain of, though, um, you know, they aren't told to be hefty fines. 
um, you know, if somebody's just horsing around or falsely activates that, because it will initiate a search. Um, uh, we've been in the, the District 1 Coast Guard Command Center in Boston um, doing a tour and just meeting with some of the new um, officers when a, a local beacon actually was set off and they received the ping while we happened to be in there. And um, thankfully in the notes section, they, they were able to tell that this beacon was disposed of, um, just not properly. And they were able to actually trace it back, um, find out the previous owner and, and come to find out it was in a landfill about 200 miles away. Okay. I guess that's good to find out that. Yeah, I had to send in my re-renewal of my EPIRB this year, I had to tell them basically my old EPIRB had been destroyed so that it's no longer on their their list. But my personal EPIRB is still registered with them. So let me talk to you about the life raft servicing. I have a four-man Avon right. life raft, and it has not been serviced. <laughs> for years and years and years. And uh, I I bought it for new when I sailed across the Atlantic. That was my main purpose in getting the life raft was for my Atlantic crossing. But I haven't had it serviced. But when I put my boat up on the hard in Malta, there was a life raft servicing uh, outfit there. And I talked to the person that did a lot of the uh, the servicing and my main concern was number one, if I needed it, would the would the uh, canister inflate it? And number two, would I have leaks in it? And I asked him. I said, "How often, when you service life rafts, do you does the canister really need to be replaced, the inflating canister? And how often do you get leaks?" And he said, "Very rarely." He said, "Mainly, we open them up, we replace the water and the um, and the supplies of flares and so forth." And as a general, we don't find any leaks in them, and and that's about it. What what has been your experience? So uh, that essentially, you know, is our experience as well. Um, we we see probably four thousand rafts um, that come through our facility throughout each year, and the percentage of cylinders that have an issue are. are few and far between um the percentage of um, life rafts that leak or have issues are also few and far between it's not very typical um but some of the issues you can run into when you haven't serviced in a long time um are corrosion so there are quite a few metal fittings um especially in the firing head there are a lot of moving parts as well so the last thing you want to do is have a a life raft that holds air is fully functioning. Have a CO2 cylinder that's, um, you know, weighted out to spec, but have an issue somewhere um, in your firing head or with your hoses. And that's typically the problems that we see when rafts haven't been serviced in quite a while. Um, the hoses can also, um, you know, get corrosion on the fittings on the ends, but they're also rubber, so they can dry rot over time. So one of the steps that we do when um, inspecting life rafts are blast test the hoses. So we send a, um, you know, a high concentrated burst of air through there before we begin our, our pressure test on each individual chamber, just to ensure that they'll be able to hold the pressure of the CO2 cylinder. Um, 
And now some manufacturers, because that's where we see issues, uh, manufacturers have put service bulletins into effect where after X amount of years in the field, we're actually now required to just replace the hoses altogether. Um, but, but yeah, you, you know, you don't, you don't see men, uh, the raft losing air. Um, a lot of it, they're smaller things, but you know, as we all know, those small issues can snowball into a problem where if you're in an emergency situation, you know, your life could be riding on this equipment and you're just hoping that it all works properly. Yeah, that makes sense. And when I do another Atlantic crossing, I'll definitely have mine service, probably actually replace it because like I say, I bought my life raft in 97 and you, that's probably beyond the shelf life of, of life rafts anyway. What, what is, what do you see as the, uh, the shelf life of, a you know, life so raft? that, that's a, it's sort of a two-parted um, answer to that. So the rafts hold up quite well over time. Um, they're they're pretty well built, especially um, you know some of the older Avon, some of the older Switlicks and Givens rafts. But what we're seeing now is um, you can't always get parts for some of those older rafts. So you know, unfortunately, the rafts have a viable life which is about 15 years, I'd say, because after, after that, there's additional testing required. As I mentioned before, some manufacturers, we have to say, replace the hoses and things. Um, so the service cost starts to add up. And uh, at that point, you know, you're, you're putting quite a bit into a 15-year-old life raft. Um, and now, you know, you could take advantage of um, boat show sales and things like that and, and get some new equipment at almost a comparable cost. So, you know, I would say about 15 years is the viable life of a life raft. Um, but they hold up. Um, I've serviced some rafts that were, you know, 25 plus years old and, um, they hold pressure, all the chambers check back just fine. So as long as, um, you can still get the parts and, um, you know, the approvals haven't been pulled on that model or that brand, um, you know, we can still perform the service. What proportion of life rafts do you sell in the hard shells versus the uh, the valise, mines of valise, so I can strap it to the deck when I'm sailing and put it down below when, I'm, when I don't. I don't have to have a, a solid fiberglass case for it. Um, I'm willing to bet as far as sales um two-thirds of our sales are probably in the soft pack valise uh, versus about one-third of the rafts in the hard case um but believe it or not when it comes to annual servicing it's probably about 50 50 um, because most of the rafts in hard case that we see are more commercial a lot of times so they're required to be serviced every year Whereas most of those valise-packed life rafts are vacuum-packed, and uh, they don't have to be serviced um, until the third year each time around. So it's a it's about a you know about a fifty-fifty split when it come when it does come down to it. I'm looking at the brands of life rafts you sell. I don't see Avon on there. You don't do Avons in. Uh, so we do, we service Avons. Um, they actually, you can no longer buy a new Avon. Oh. Um, 
essentially they are out of business. Um, I believe it was Zodiac who had purchased, you know, the rights to Avon last. And um, so they kept an inventory of the parts and things, but basically that brand um, has gone away. Um, and you see that a lot with these life rafts and some of this life-saving equipment. Um, because like I had said, Zodiac was the one who purchased Avon and Zodiac has even been split up in recent years. On the recreational side of things, we've got Z North America and that's the recreational rafts, inflatable boats and things like that. And then the commercial side of Zodiac split off and that's actually owned by uh, a company called Survitech now. If you were sailing up in the, uh, the cold climates, uh, the, the Arctic or let's say the Puget Sound area where the water is so cold. And also in your area, north of, you know, north of Rhode yeah, Island. Yeah, we're, you get we're in the North Atlantic here. Yeah. And you had to choose between a life raft or um, the immersion suits. Which would you choose? So if... If I had to choose between a life raft or an immersion suit, to be honest, um, if for me personally, I would take that immersion suit only because the life raft doesn't offer, um, uh, you know, uh, thermal any thermal properties. Essentially, it doesn't provide any warmth to you. So if you got in the life raft with street clothes or even fall weather gear in in a cold climate like that. Um, you know, your chances of survival are, are, are slimmed down. Whereas with that immersion suit, it does provide flotation, but it also provides thermal insulation. So if you had that survival suit um, plus a PLB or EPIRB, you'll be in better shape than without that immersion suit but in a life raft. Ideally, you know, um, Arctic, Puget Sound, any type of cold water climate, um, you probably would want all three. You probably would want some type of, um, you know, immersion suit or some type of suit that provides thermal protection. You'd want a life raft to get you out of the water, and you'd also want the EPIRB or PLB to, um, to you know, that's a signaling device. So it's notifying somebody where you are, and it's also letting them know that you're in need of help. I have a friend that's a commercial fisherman in Alaska, and he's he's commented that there's been so much increase in survival uh, since the fishermen started wear, having immersion suits on these boats up there that it's been amazing. Before, they would typically lose fishermen, but now uh, now with the EPIRBs and the immersion suits, uh, it's, it's, it's made a big difference in the survivability of, a, of going down with a vessel. And, yep, and... And on the, on the commercial end of things, how I touched on earlier, we provide um, training to complete the circle. Um, one of the things that I do is I do monthly um, safety drills uh, on fi- commercial fishing vessels. And one of the things that we do is um, we put the immersion suit on every month. And I time the guys and gals. And... Um, you know, the goal is to get that on in under a minute. 
for any commercial fishermen looking to obtain their drill conductor's card to, to carry the drills out themselves on board, they actually have to get it on in less than a minute themselves um, to earn that certification. So we use that as the goal when I do the drills. Um, so not only do we make sure they all have a suit that fits, fits properly, trained on how to get that on as quick as possible. Okay. So if you've got a, let's say a person just like me, cause I have people that do this all the time, listeners that, you know, do a transatlantic or a trans Pacific and you were setting up a new boat or not even a new boat, a boat for offshore sailing. What would you say is essential to have on board for let's say a, a transatlantic Um, transatlantic for you know any offshore sailor you you certainly do want to um, put a life raft on board it's just something god forbid you run into an emergency you have to abandon ship it just gives you something to get into it keeps you out of the water so um, you certainly would want a life raft you would certainly want an epurb on board Um, you should everybody should have life jackets um, some type of personal flotation device that they're comfortable enough that they will wear at all at all times. Um, you know, even if it's just something like a belt pack or any type of, they make bib pants with flotation built in, just anything that'll provide some sort of flotation that they'll wear at all times. Um, a recommendation of mine would be the new personal AIS beacons, um, and that you can you can essentially give and assign to each crew member. If somebody falls off, it'll actually notify. You, you know, you can program these with your AIS and VHF system on board. Um, so that's certainly something. You'd certainly want flares, you know, um, or a, a ditch kit, really. And in that ditch kit, you would want flares, a shelter aid, um, possibly a handheld VHF radio, one that's GPS compatible is ideal. Um, thermal type blankets, just something you can wrap around somebody or two people if need be for warmth. Um, a compass sometimes is helpful in that ditch kit. You could also stick a small notepad in there, you know, if, if you are spending some time in that life raft. You can sort of keep a, a, a daily diary um, on everything. It, it sort of can also help keep your mind off things. Um, I would say those are your essentials. Um, you know, a well-thought-out ditch bag, your life raft, personal flotation devices, EPIRB, and personal AIS beacons. Tell, tell people how they can contact you and what should we cover that we haven't covered yet. Um. So anybody looking to contact us, you know, um, unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 situation that we're all facing essentially worldwide, um, our front door is not open at the moment, although we are open for business. Um, but anybody can walk right in with any type of questions just to see gear, put your hands on some equipment. Um, we'll walk you through our service facility um, so by all means, you know, we're in Tiverton, Rhode Island. People can come visit us in person with any questions or anything they might have. We have a showroom 
um, a well-stocked store. Our service facility is here. So um, they can certainly visit. They can reach us online, lrse.com. We have a pretty good website. We have videos. We have tutorials. We have service request forms right They can also reach us by, you know, email. Um, we're here Monday through Friday. Ones are on, um, and we're always all available by email. So, you know, we our customer base is essentially worldwide. Um, being just outside Newport here, we get, um, you know, plenty of transient vessels each year. Plus, we boat shows all throughout the country. We go to safety at seas, you know, we're, we're in the UK at least once or twice a year for training or at a manufacturer's facility. Um, so, so, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, what type of boating that you do, you can reach out to us with any type of questions, um, you know, with any of the equipment that we sell, any equipment we service, um, even just with general safety questions, if you're, if um, this is something that you're into, you're interested in getting into sailing, fishing, um, anything to do with on the water, you know, whether you're in rivers, streams, local bays, um, or doing some blue water sailing, we, we can help you uh, get the right gear. Let me ask you a question. Let's say I want to replace my, my life raft. And I'm in the Mediterranean. I'm not, I used to be able to carry it on the plane, but in fact, I've replaced two dinghies by just putting it as baggage uh, in when I, when I flew over to the, uh, to the Mediterranean, but I don't seem to be able to get away with that anymore. In fact, I took a whole refrigeration unit with me one year, but now I, I can't seem to get away with that. How do you, do you right. ship to the Mediterranean at all? Any of the countries in the Mediterranean? So um, we can. It's shipping new gear, you know, to Europe can be difficult. But um, what we can do, because um, the vendors that we use um, have outposts essentially uh, throughout the world, what we could do is um, possibly have something drop shipped from another facility, possibly in the UK or somewhere in the Mediterranean, um, and we could have them drop ship something to you. Okay. So it wouldn't it wouldn't come from the states. It would come from either the UK or Spain or Italy, more than likely. Which makes sense. Yeah, and and just yeah. getting something through customs is another nightmare over there as well. So. Yeah. Right, right. So we, we have a um, shipping company that we've been working with for about a year now, and it's made getting life rafts to the um, Caribbean islands and into Canada a little bit easier. Um, but there are still some hurdles um, that you do face when it comes to the customs and everything. All right. So it, it's it's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Um, but with this new shipping company that we've, we've teamed up with, it has made life a little bit easier. And, um, as we ship more and more with them, we are starting to get some better rates. Um, so it works out for everybody. Do you sell, uh, uh, AIS equipment as well? So we, we sell the personal AIS beacons and being an ACR dealer, 
Um, we are able to sell the um, ACR Class A and Class B receivers. We don't do a whole lot. Um, and part of that is because our, at our old facility from the mid-90s, 2009, 2010, uh, the company next door was a marine electronics company. And so, you know, we sort of let them handle phones and um, AIS equipment. And um, so what we typically do is steer people to them. Okay. Um, when it comes to the AIS beacons and programming and function, um, you know, we can sell you most of the equipment. We give you a tutorial. Um, but when it comes to buying some of that equipment, we usually turn people uh, to our old neighbors there in Portsmouth. All right. Let the, let the experts deal with what they're known for then. So, so now that – Exactly. Me, yeah. So let me ask you a question. So if you have an AIS receiver on board – and you got buy a personal um, AI uh, a personal beacon that can be programmed so that the boat can go back and find you as well. Is that what you're telling me? Correct. So, so um, some of the manufacturers, some of the models of the personal AIS beacons, um, you can program an MMSI number into. So you can program your vessel's MMSI. And from there, you can pair it with the ship's system, and then you can name the individual beacon. So, you know, mine would, we would um, name mine Jacob and say I was the person that fell overboard. This beacon would activate, or, you know, if I'm wearing an inflatable life jacket, they can be integrated for automatic activation. So I fall overboard, my inflatable life jacket inflates, and um, simultaneously, it activates my AIS beacon because we programmed the um, the MMSI number into the beacon, and then we paired it with the ship system. Um, that'll notify the ship that it's it's Jacob that fell overboard, and also now it will come up every now every chart plotter's different, so that's why we always tell folks. Um, Familiarize yourself with your particular system. We do a tutorial. We have a PowerPoint and do a walkthrough at some of the Safety at Sea seminars. Um, but, yeah, we, we always tell everyone, try to do a dry run on your system because it may be a little bit different. But it'll pop right up um, that there's been an MOB. Um, that you, A lot of the times you can, you know, push the button and um, right away it'll start plotting you a course right to that person. Well, that sounds like a great safety device to have. And I, they are. And all in all, it, they're fairly inexpensive. Uh, most folks have AIS receivers on board nowadays. And, um, you know, those personal beacons are in the 250 to $300 price range, like the um, personal EPIRBs. Okay. Well, this has been educational. I wasn't aware of that uh, that capability, so that's one more reason for me to buy an AIS, which I have not bought yet. So I need to. I need it's to still, get one. I I guess it's still a fairly new technology. It was around 2014, 2015, where um, those AIS beacons got the final approvals to be sold in the states here. So we're only talking about 
five years or so at the most that they've been stateside anyway. Um, to my knowledge, they were in Europe a year or two before they did come over here. Um, so it is fairly new technology. And as far as the programming and a specific beacons to a crew member, um, that is newer as well. And we're just getting more and more familiar with it as we go. Yeah, that sounds something I need to get and uh, follow up on. I just hate to run wires on my boat. It becomes a real headache sometimes. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Anything else we want to touch on before we call it an interview? You know, I I think that's about it. Um, If anybody listening, like I said, you have any questions through our website as well, lrse.com. We've got a, um, a nice inquiry page. So anything at all, um, you just fill that out, hit submit. It'll come to most of us here at the shop. And, um, you know, usually within 12 hours or so, we've got an answer for you or, um, you know, we can start steering you in the right direction. Well, my experience with you was, yeah, you, you guys responded to me right away. And I was impressed with your service. So I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming um, on. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, any, as small as an EPIRB antenna or if you are looking to outfit your vessel to um, race in the 2022 Newport Bermuda race. You know, we're, we're here to help. All right. You take care and thanks for coming. All right, Franz. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.